You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Psalm 50. The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this, then, you who forget God lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. This is the word of the Lord. My name is Nathan. If I haven't met you, I'd love to after the service. We're really glad that you're here with us this evening. Uh, We're going to do something, start something this evening a little bit different. I'll tell you about it in just a second. Uh, when I, w- I grew up in the church. I grew up in a Baptist church until I was like in the second grade, and then I was in a big Bible church in North Texas until I, uh, I graduated high school. And then uh, when I was in college, I was at this kind of, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, it was a Baptist church, though you wouldn't know it. Uh, Chris Tomlin led worship there in Austin, Texas. Uh, and I started inviting a lot of my non-Christian friends to come to church with me. And for the very first time in my life, I kind of felt like they were like an anthropologist and I was their subject. Uh, The things that we had done, the things that I had done in church my entire life were suddenly kind of strange. They were like, wait, why do we do these things? I, I remember very clearly my senior year of college, Uh, I invited a Roman Catholic friend of mine that I worked with at the Recreational Center, the Rec Center at the University of Texas, to come to this big, um, most campus ministries do these kinds of things, these huge like winter conferences at a hotel where there's like a thousand college kids there. And that was the moment that I realized, or that I really felt, he just like, there's like a thousand college kids. We were all singing kind of like what we were doing earlier. We were raising our hands and clapping and shouting and stuff. And then there's this, uh, my Hispanic friend, Eduardo, uh, who had grown up in South Texas in the Catholic Church, and he, I just felt him like doing this, 
like watching me. Like, what are you doing? This is so weird. And for the first time in my life, uh, really, I was like, why do we do these things? Have you ever had that moment that you had thought, why do we do the things that we do as Christians? Why do we sing songs? Why do we come here on Sundays? Why do we do like a prayer, a prayer like this? Why in the world do we do something like this? This is a strange ritual, isn't it? Every Sunday. Well, maybe you've asked similar questions in your life, and I would love for us ongoingly to be asking those questions, and more importantly, to have good answers to those questions. Uh, we need, actually, I think, as Christians, a better theology of worship, a better understanding of what God thinks of worship. Now, we just heard Grace read from Psalm 50 that there is actually some forms of worship that God rejects. And we'll see that that happens based on the heart of the so-called worshipers doing the so-called worship, not necessarily the form or the order of the service. But the form and the order of the service are actually really important things for us to think through, to be clear on. And so because of this, we're going to spend the next seven, out, seven Sundays or so to think through our worship together as Christ Church, what we do on Sundays, specifically our worship here as we gather. And so we're going to spend a Sunday on each element of what we do on Sundays. Tonight, we're just going to be thinking about the call to worship. So next week, we'll be thinking about confession and then assurance and singing and praying and preaching and the Lord's Supper and being sent out, the benediction, all of these things. Uh, we want to be very clear on what and why we do what we do. Now, if you were here, if you've been with us for many years, which many of you weren't here, uh, about five years ago, we did a series very similar to this. Uh, but, like we've mentioned a lot over the last couple of weeks, we think it's really important. We might just do this once every five years or so to understand the what and the why of what we do. Now, uh, you might be, if you're here for the first time this Sunday, welcome. Uh, you might be thinking, oh, shoot, I thought I was going to go to a church that was going to like, preach through the Bible. Uh, maybe you have a good expectation for expositional preaching, uh, the preacher to, to preach through books of the Bible. Well, that's 95% of our diet. Uh, we just finished a book or a series through the book of Leviticus. After this, we'll start the book of Ephesians. Uh, but maybe once every other year or so, we'll stop down and do something like this so that we can think clearly about a given topic um, so that said, it's not entirely out of the question to do something like this, but we're going to spend the next two months thinking about worship. And tonight, we're going to think through worship generally by asking two questions, and that is, what is worship and what does worship do? That's like the first half of our sermon tonight. And then on the second half of this, our time together, we're going to be thinking about the call to worship specifically, so God's call to worship. So... I think a first question to start this entire series to have a good answer to, a first question is what is worship? When I say worship, what do you think of? A given frequency on the FM dial? Uh, music, electric guitars, raising hands, big concerts? What do you think of when you think of that word, worship? Well, the word worship is a very old word. It's an old English word, and it just comes from this word, this meaning of to ascribe worth. We worthship. We give worth to something. So when we say with our mouths, with our minds, or with our hearts, that thing is worthy, we are worshiping it. When we say that thing is worthwhile, that thing is worthy of my time, my attention, my energy and desire, we are worshiping. So if that's true, if it's true that any time that we give our attention, our time to something, we are worshiping, if that's true, then worship isn't just something we do when we gather together on Sundays to sing four or five songs together. And it's more than something we do just merely in a Christian way, meaning we can worship all kinds of things that are not God. We are constantly worshiping. 
We are worshiping things other than God all day, every day. At this very moment, every person on earth is bowing down to someone or to something. Right now, at this very second. Now perhaps if we thought of humans like three or 4,000 years ago, we're like, oh yeah, those old you know, pre-scientific people who don't understand things, they, yeah, I can understand that. They were constantly like on their faces like worshiping idols. We're no different. We are no different. We now perhaps just worship different kinds of ideas or ideals. Any kind of social cause or any kind of desire that we might have, we are created as worshipers. In fact, as many have observed, all sin is in fact just misplaced worship. Kyle was kind of hinting at that earlier in our confession of sin. You believe that? That all sin is really just misplaced worship. Think about it. Selfishness is just the worship of the self and of perhaps possessions. Anger and pride is the worship of the self and the rights that you demand that you think that you are owed. Lust is the worship of the image of someone else's body. Anxiety is the worship of a perfectly ideal situation that is not reality. So if we are constantly worshiping something, some person, some ideal that we happen to think either at that moment or for the course of our life is actually worthwhile, is worthy, then Christian worship is actually then reorienting our hearts to the one who is actually worthy. So this can be done, this kind of worship can be done through songs. But it should actually be done in all of life, wherever we are. And while we are constantly worshiping, and we ought to be worshiping God constantly in a scattered and individual sense, every moment of the day, wherever we find ourselves, there is something that actually happens when God's people gather together here in a service of worship. After all, like, I can sing songs in my car. In fact, if you get the weekly email, you might see that we have a YouTube playlist of like every single song that we sing together on Sundays. If all you need is to hear the songs that we sing on Sundays and then sing with your mouth that kind of, or that, that actual song, then you do not need to come here on Sunday to worship. You can read your Bible at home. You can pray at home. You can even, I hate to tell you this, listen to my preaching at home. So what is the point? What's the point? Why did, you get all, why did you all get in your cars and drive here? Why did some of you who are listening at home stay at your house? Well, many, even increasingly so, over the last decade or so, have emphasized that the church is a people and not a place, and there's something that is absolutely right in that. The church is who the people are and what they do, rather than just the building that they go to. That's right. But God has certainly and undeniably called his people to gather together. We worship in a scattered sense, but then God calls his people to worship in a gathered sense. So we've said through the years that the church is certainly more than what we do on Sundays, but it is not less. Do you hear that? We as a church, and any church, is more than what we or any church does on a Sunday, but it is nothing less than that. That is like the bare bones minimum of what a church is, of who the people are. They gather together. The very word itself, church, the Greek word ekklesia, it means literally just a gathering or an assembly, an assembled people. That is a church. And so there is a sense in which we are actually kind of not Christ church when we are not gathered. We are covenant members of the same church throughout the week. We are still covenanted together, but we actually kind of become this reified sense of who the church is together here an hour and a half on Sundays. We are the church now. We can continue to be the church throughout the week, but kind of not like we are right now. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How? Well, certainly not by neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the day drawing near. How do we encourage each other? How do we encourage each other to love and good works? This, every Sunday, right after, or he says this right after uh, he had commanded his readers to hold fast the, con- the confession. How do you hold fast the confession? How do you make sure that you are still believing in Jesus? By gathering together. And so Mike Cosper says, I'm probably going to quote from this book quite a bit in the next seven weeks. Uh, we did a book club with this book about five years ago. It is so good. If you have not read Mike Cosper's book, Rhythms of Grace, do it. Uh, it's pretty cheap on Amazon. Uh, this book is so good. But Cosper says that the gathering, the gathering is unique, not as an encounter with God. It is that, though God's presence is constantly available comfort and help to the Christian throughout the week. Rather, it's unique because it is an encounter with the people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, spurring one another along in the mission of God. Christ in me meets Christ in you. Christ in me happens when I am at home, but I do not meet Christ in you when I am at home. I am not encouraged by Christ through you at home. And so God has not called a bunch of individuals to worship him. He has called a people, an assembly, a corporate people, a body. So a Sunday gathering of God's people is not just a business meeting where you can have the minutes emailed to you. It is not a motivational speech or a TED talk about the Bible. The corporate gathering of God's people is not just a cultural ex- expectation of what like, civically-minded civically minded Americans might do. It is not a way to appease God or to make him happy. And it is not a concert hall. This has been such a helpful image throughout throughout the years for me, when Cosper compares the way that we think about going to a concert on the one hand or going to a banquet on the other. Cosper says, if this, what we come to on Sundays, is a concert hall, we show up as passive observers and critics. Think about it. When you go to a concert, unless you are like the biggest fanboy or fangirl of the artist that you're going to see, you're like, ah, that could have been a little better, or I just don't really like these people, or whatever, right? So we show up as passive observers and critics, eager to have the itches of our preferences and felt needs scratched. A banquet hall, by contrast, is a communal gathering. We come hungry and in community, ready to participate and to share the experience with one another. So, if you leave here on Sundays... Silently, or perhaps not so silently, uh, criticizing everything that has happened, my guess is it's because you came to be entertained, to have your felt needs scratched, not to worship the God who saves. And we'll talk more about God's call to worship in just a second, but for now, know that we gather on Sunday because it is God himself who calls us together to do several things to praise and worship his goodness, to hear him speak through his word, to encourage one another, to be more deeply united to one another, and to participate. As we considered a few weeks ago in Leviticus, while we can and even should be stirred emotionally, what we do here is not actually a worship experience. What we come to on Sundays is not about the way that I feel, but rather about serving God by ascribing to him the worth that he is due. All right, so if that is what scattered and gathered worship is, now, what does worship do? What's the point? The first thing we need to say is that worship actually makes God bigger. Now this seems to, what I just said, uh, seems to perhaps uh, conflict with what we just read from the Second London Confession of 1689, but what I mean is God isn't bigger actually or literally, but he does in worship get bigger in our vision, in our imagination. Worship should, 
it ought to act somewhat like a telescope, making something bigger in our field of vision. Later this evening, we're going to sing a new song called Christ Be Magnified. That's what we want. Like a, like a telescope or a magnifying glass makes something that in our limited vision is very small or perhaps far away. Now with this tool, now the thing that to our limited vision was small or far away, now we can see it more clearly. We want Christ to be magnified in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, souls, and strength for Christ to be bigger, for him to get glory in our lives and through our lives. But just by emphasizing the glory of God, uh, that's not to say that something doesn't still happen in worship. Now, we've already said that worship is not just a worship experience. That should actually not be what worship is. But something does happen in us in worship. Perhaps, though, maybe just not the way that you might think. Uh, I'm going to hold up another book. It's hard for me to uh, overemphasize how important this book has been in my life. It's James K.A. Smith's Desiring the Kingdom. If any of you readers are there and you want some summer reading, here's another. Desiring the Kingdom from James K.A. Smith. Uh, He has written a lot about worship. And then this word that I'm about to introduce, if you haven't heard this word or your first time here, liturgy. Uh, Liturgy uh, is just, means just an order of events. And liturgy doesn't have to happen in churches. So Smith rightly observes that how we worship is actually a habit-formed event. Not a habit-forming event, but worship is actually a habit-formed event. Meaning, the habits that we have in our lives actually form the way we worship through the liturgies or the orders of our lives. And so, if liturgy just means order, then in that sense, every single church service that you have ever been to is a liturgical church service, right? Every church service has an order. Sometimes it might vary week to week, but every single church service has an order. Sometimes it's just like a welcome and a prayer and then four or five songs and then preaching a couple other songs and then have a good week or whatever. That, that is a liturgy and that actually is doing something. But there are also many other habit-formed cultural liturgies that we daily participate in as Americans. So we might think that what we do, uh, what we do changes the things that we love, but reality is, I think Smith is right here, is we begin to love the things that we do. Do you see the difference? You might think that you will do the things that you love. If I love this thing, then I'll do it. But really, I think if we're more perceptive in our life, we will actually begin to love the things that we do. The liturgies in which we participate teach us what to believe, what to love, and what to to desire. So, perhaps, as I was in my mid-20s or something, perhaps you might wake up, you might check Twitter for the latest sports opinions, updates, hot takes out there, and then to and from work, you might listen to sports radio for the latest updates, opinions, and hot takes out there, and then you get home and you turn on the sports until all the sportsing is over for the day, and then you wake up in the next day and you do it all again. Or perhaps you might wake up and check Twitter or your whatever feed you might be reading uh, for the latest political updates, announcements, and hot takes. You might read about how the president or how Congress is bringing an end to the, Ameri- to the American life as you might know it, or how the president or Congress is bringing about a new American utopia. And then you listen to the latest updates and hot takes on political radio or your political, favorite political podcast all day. You might refresh social media throughout the day so that you can see who has made himself the enemy of the internet that day. Or perhaps your thumb is instinctively moving toward the Instagram or the TikTok icon on your phone. Where all day then you'll be flooded with physical attractiveness, be flooded with self-promotion and just unbelievable food. Or just the workaholic liturgies of your life 
the entertainment liturgies and orders of your life, the kids' achievement schedules of our days and weeks and months and years, all of these habits, these liturgies, these rhythms actually shape what we believe to be true about reality, actually shape what we love, what we hope in, what we desire, and what we worship. So Lord willing, we're going to be together over many, many more thousands of Sundays together. For some of you, that might sound great. For some of you, you're like, oh my gosh, thousands? (laughs) But the way that we gather and what we do when we gather will invariably shape who we are and what we believe and what we love, what we worship. So when you do something a lot, it becomes easier, right? If you do something a lot, it becomes easier. Muscle memory begins to take over. When you do something a lot, your muscles, or when you don't do something a lot, like if you're trying something for the first time, think, just think about, like, I don't know, if you try to write left-handed, if you're right-handed, or if you're, right-handed, or if you're left-handed, try to write right-handed. Why is that so hard? There are some things biologically, and well, I don't even know. I'm no hand scientist. Uh, but just muscle memory. Your hand knows exactly how to write a P. Or when you're learning cursive, it gets easier over time. When you don't do something, your muscles are harder to manipulate and master. And so it's like going out in the driveway and shooting 500 free throws a day. And then by God's grace, through his spirit, the muscle memory of confession and repentance and belief in Christ under his word is the same thing. Week by week, by week, by week, just going out and shooting free throws. All of this will get easier. Muscle memory, spiritual muscle memory will begin to take over. But here's the thing. You don't wake up as a good free throw shooter. And you likely don't even realize that you're getting better every single day. But shoot every day, and after several years, you'll be a good free throw shooter. Slow and incremental progress that is barely observable to the naked eye. Muscles and instincts change. Same can be said of playing a musical instrument, playing scales on the piano or the violin or something. Most music students want to just get to the jams, right? Like when you start, especially if you start in like middle school or high school, you pick up the guitar and you go to your first lesson and you're like, all right, when can we start Led Zeppelin? And then the guitar teacher is like, actually, we're just going to start learning some scales. And you're like, that sounds terrible. Let's get to the good stuff. Not realizing that to be really able to play the good stuff, your fingers must first move instinctively. You don't have to think about where they must go. They just go there. And so perhaps you've been hesitant toward embracing a more formal liturgy. And now I say formal because what we do, I think is kind of right in the middle. Compared to some, this is like the most liturgical high church, church service some have ever been to. For some, this is like a rock concert, and this is just free-flowing, what are these people doing, just making up things as they go along. But, perhaps, you've been hesitant towards this kind of structure, because this kind of structure makes your worship feel less sincere, makes your words, your worship, feel less spontaneous, less sincere. But if our desires are habit-formed, did you hear that? If our habits, if our desires, if our worship are actually habit-formed, then think about what we're doing here. We're shooting free throws. Yo-Yo Ma can just bang out box cello suite number one because he has played the G major scale on his cello a gazillion times. He doesn't even think about where his fingers need to go. And so we are confident that putting our hearts, our minds, our souls through the entirety of the gospel story every single Sunday is exactly the same thing. That of God's call, that of 
God's holiness, of our sin and our needed confession, of our trust and assurance in the work of Christ, of our profession and prayer, of our submission to God's word as authoritative in all of life, and our confident faith in our union with Christ and unity with his people, and then our being sent back into the world, that actually changes your heart. We're confident that years of that every single week will actually change the way that you respond to like the clutch moments of your life. Like Steph Curry has shot a gazillion three-pointers. And then in the clutch moment at the buzzer beater, he can actually hit that shot. Why? Because he shot that shot a gazillion times. The same can be said here. That what we do here on Sundays will help you in the clutch moments of your life, but not just the clutch ones in just the boring, old, everyday everyday free throws of the life as well. And so if that's true, then we set ourselves up for disappointment when we actually set our expectations for a Sunday gathering of God's people too high. So I've said this many times throughout the years, but if you're new here, if you're visiting, I hate to break it to you, no one single Sunday service is going to change your life. Maybe. I doubt it. No sermon is going to change your life. Maybe. I, I know people who, for whom that's true. No one singular gospel community gathering at someone's house throughout the week is going to change your life. But 10 or 20 or 30 years of Sunday gatherings of gospel community together in each other's living rooms, that will change your life. It will. And that's why attendance is so vital to our spiritual lives. Or to quote another quote that I've shared so many times with so many of you, I don't remember 99% of the meals that I've ever eaten, right? You can agree, right? 99% of the meals that you've ever eaten you don't remember. Entirely forgettable. But they kept you alive. God uses faithful, forgettable sermons and gatherings of God's people to beautify his bride. This Sunday, you you won't remember it five years from now. My guess is I can prove that because most of you, if you were here five years ago, hearing a sermon very similar to this, you might not even remember that. But these over and over and over and over again for decades upon decades will change your life. It will keep you alive. So if that's what worship does, It magnifies God in our vision, and it actually changes our love for him. Now on to the first element of our weekly liturgy, the call to worship. Now you'll have noticed that each week we read from scripture some section where God is calling his people to himself. Or some human is calling to the people to worship God. Like when Kyle read from, for us from the beginning of this service from Psalm 95, where the psalmist writes, Come, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Or as Grace read from, for us from Psalm 50, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons. Summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. It is God himself who calls his people to worship him. The story of worship in the scriptures is that of God speaking and initiating. Of God seeking and calling. Of God speaking and creating the universe and then Adam. Of him speaking and then calling after Adam and Eve after their fall. Of him speaking and calling Abraham from the east. Of him speaking and calling Israel into right worship over and over and over and over and over again of Jesus speaking and calling his disciples to follow him. And now to the church, as Peter calls us in 1 Peter 2, a people of his own possession, who he called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We, the people of God, he has called, he has spoken to, and he has called out of darkness to live now into his light. Once you were not a people, Peter says, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why? Why have we received mercy? Because for the Christian, God has called him, called her into light, into life. 
So it is not that we invite God to be present in our worship experience. We do not invite God to be present in our experience of him. No, what we do each week actually is not about our experience. Again, though, that we should actually experience God as we worship with our heart, soul, strength, and mind. But the focus is not on us. The focus is on God and his glory and him beckoning his people into his presence, not us beckoning him into ours. But the reality of life is that while we ought to have been worshiping God with our whole being in a scattered sense all over town, all throughout the week, we haven't done that well. We have given our attention and our worship to countless other idols throughout the week, and we need the God who calls us to constantly call us again, to constantly reorient our hearts and our minds, which is why we hear from God in his word right off the bat. We hear from God in Psalm 50, where he says, our God comes, he does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. And so he says to his people, gather, gather to me my faithful ones who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is a judge. Now in the old days, churches would have bells. Some churches still have bells. But wherever you were in town, wherever you were, Whatever you were doing, however your work, however your week was, on a Sunday morning, you would hear bells ringing throughout town. This bell was actually a call to worship. It was a sound that you were to hear and that you might be reminded, oh yes, I am to gather with God's people. I am to worship God today. That bell was meant to act as like a shot of adrenaline into dying or sleepy hearts the thing that could, wake, that could wake you from the spiritual drowsiness, even a state of comatose that you were in. Oh yes, it is time to worship the God of the universe. It's kind of a bummer that we've lost that cultural sign and marker, but this certainly ought to be what is happening in our ears each Sunday when we hear God's word read right off the bat. When Kyle read Psalm 95 today, it wasn't just the introduction slot. The on-ramp to, it kind of feels weird to just start playing a song, so let's uh, spiritualize it a little bit and read a little bit of Bible uh, to kind of on-ramp us on to this worship experience. That's not what is happening. No, Psalm 95 was meant to wake us to reality. Perhaps you had a really, really difficult week. Perhaps it was filled with conflict and arguments. Perhaps these conflicts and arguments were even ongoing on the car right here, like an hour ago. Perhaps your week was filled with sin's seeming victory in your life. Perhaps, doubting Christian, you've been wondering if there is a God at all. Maybe you've been growing in anxiousness this week about that our whole state is on fire about inflation, about important upcoming November midterm elections, about violence, about wars, about rumors of wars. Perhaps you've had an awesome week of success in your life, both in business success or academic success or social success, as well as just the joy in the Lord that you've experienced this week in growing in holiness. Praise the Lord for that. The call to worship is for every human being for whatever state that you are in. It reminds us that God indeed does exist and he has spoken. Hearing God reminds, of, reminds us of his holiness and reminds us to join with creation, to join with the angels in their present worship of God. As we often sing in all creatures of our God and King, we join in with the burning sun with golden beam. We join in with the silver moon with softer gleam. The sun and the moon are worshiping God. They are doing exactly as he has intended for their existence. 
So all we're doing on Sundays when we gather together is just joining in creation, joining with the angels in their worship of God. The call to worship reminds us that if we are indeed growing in holiness and joy, that it is for him that we are growing. It is his glory that we are growing. Not just out of religious duty, but we crown him, Jesus, with many crowns. That is why we come here. And so the first song that we sing each week will be there to remind us of who we worship. You will hear a reading from the scriptures in which God calls his people to worship and then we'll respond to that call to worship with a song of acclamation, of a song of ascribing to worth, ascribing to God the worth that he deserves. We'll often sing, come thou fount of every blessing as that call to worship song. Robert Robinson, the writer of that song, must have known of the tepid fickleness of his and every heart when he wrote, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. That song is one of my favorites just out of necessity. That song acts as a ringing bell for my soul. My heart, like Robinson's, is prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. My heart, like Robinson's, is in constant need of tuning and retuning and retuning and retuning. So even though there are plenty of worship leaders out there who have really great intentions, you will never hear Matt or Luke or Jordan or anyone else up here come out here, first thing, a little hoppity and a skippity and say, how are we doing tonight? I can't hear you. Who's ready to worship? That's not going to happen. Sorry if that's what you are expecting. Because the reality for many of us when we roll in here, the answer is no. I'm not ready to worship. I'm not doing well. And I, I understand that you can't hear me because you will not. Because I don't want to say anything or sing anything. I'm sad. I'm mad. I'm lonely. I'm anxious. I'm doubting, I'm discouraged or dejected, I'm grieving. And jumping around worship doesn't really align with my heart right now. I actually need tuning. I need retuning. We'll think more about singing in two weeks from now, but instead of all of that, how we doing tonight, who's ready to worship kind of intro, Instead, from time to time, you'll hear us open this service with God's word, a call to worship from Isaiah 55, where God calls his people to come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. How can you come and eat things that, if you do not have money to buy them, well, because he will give them to you for free. He will provide the cost. God calls the hungry, the thirsty, the empty, the brokenhearted to himself that they might find healing and rest. Charles Spurgeon once said, there are many sorts of broken hearts and Christ is good at healing them all. And that's right. God is calling all of us to himself. Many kinds of broken hearts to himself, the good doctor. And so without stopping to hear from God, maybe just doing a bit of a welcome to our Sunday service, maybe an announcement or two, and then off we go, we might be tempted toward just rolling in here after a busy week and weekend, and we might be three or four songs into this thing before we actually slow down and take a breath and actually slow down and remember, oh yes, God exists. You guys ever been to a church service like that? Maybe even here, that's totally fine, where it's like three or four songs and you're like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. God exists and he is worthy of my worship. Have you been there? I have been in that state of mind countless times in my life. And this kind of mindless and heartless worship is the very thing that God is rebuking of Israel in Psalm 50. It is not your sacrifice of cows that I want, God says. These are the kind of, kind of burnt offerings that we thought about a lot in Leviticus. He commanded 
Israel to give these kinds of burnt offerings. And then here in Psalm 50, he says, yeah, I don't want them. What the heck? He says, it's not your sacrifices of cows that I want. It's not the cows I want. Why? Because I already have them. I own all of them. Every single cow in the universe. On the earth. I don't think there are cows, extraterrestrial cows. But every cow on this planet is already mine. You do not, I do not need you to give it to me. What does he want? I want you. I want your wholehearted faith in my promises which are indicated in these cows for Israel in these days. Now, of course, as we thought about for five weeks in Leviticus, and as we'll see more and more over the coming weeks, it is only through the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus that we have any business coming to God when he calls us. It is only through his entire life of passionate, undistracted worship that we can even begin just with a smidge of right worship in our hearts. We need constant reorienting, constant retuning. So here's what I do most weeks when Kyle is up there reading. Except for tonight, when he was welcoming you all here and I realized that I left my sermon on the printer and I needed to go upstairs. Uh, That was my bad on that one. But when Kyle says something like, Christ Church, hear this call to worship from God, I just like to close my eyes. Because God is speaking these words, especially to me, especially to us, in this moment, right here, right now. He is calling us to worship him, to ascribe worth to him as the most worthy being in the universe. Whatever distractions are in my heart, O God, just crowd them out with your glory. That's a good prayer. As you're hearing him call you to himself, just crowd out these distractions by your glory. And then when Matt says something like, now let's stand to and say, stand and sing to our great God in song, I can then think as I am standing up, yes, our God is great because my vision of him has been, his glory has crowded out all these distractions. I can actually stand and respond in praise because he has called me to himself. I think all of this should go without saying, but being present to hear the call to worship actually matters. We've tried to give you a little bit of a light flicker outside, uh, and we love, we love that you all love each other. And you want to talk and hang out and be with each other as long as possible. That's great. Um, Maybe like keep an eye on your watch or something. And at like 3.57, start moving in here. So that you can be present for God's call to your worship. For your worship. We want to have a moment for you to hear from God, take a breath, and then respond. Because here's the thing, God's call to worship is actually the fountainhead. Everything that we do flows from, trickles from, is in response to what this service begins with, the call to worship. The rest of the liturgy is our response to God's call, our response to his holiness, to his greatness, to his mercy. Out of all of that then naturally comes our confession our prayers, our communion, and actually none of that makes any sense apart from God's call to worship. None of it. Everything else we do for the next hour and 20 minutes or so makes no sense apart from the call to worship. So be here on time. Be here early, ready to worship God. Even if you don't have it in you to put on that smiling face that you think everyone expects you to have. Because those are actually the times, those are actually the weeks that you might need to be here the most. So you can find a quiet corner to sit and cry with a brother and sister before our service begins that Christ in you might be able to meet Christ in others.
And then as you hear God calling to you through his word, tremble, tremble. Tremble at his greatness, tremble at his holiness, tremble at his love for you, at his grace for you, at his mercy for you, at his faithfulness despite your so often faithlessness. Great is thy faithfulness. All of that should cause us to sing and then moving right into next week's sermon, God's call to worship should cause us to regularly and then ongoingly confess our sin to him and to one another. This service is not an experience. This service is a work of service for God's glory. So let's keep kind of grinding that rhythm into our souls. Kind of like an old vinyl record. There are grooves in your heart that the needle can then respond to. Decades of grooves of, call, of God's calling you to worship, of us gathering together in unity of us sitting under his words, uh, uh, under his word, that is causing and cutting grooves in your heart that then takes, uh, that muscle memory and spiritual instinct can begin to take over. Let's do that for a few more decades together. You guys up for that? I'm up for that. And all of this is through God and for God. For endless days we will sing your praise, O Lord, O Lord, our God, for endless days. This praise will extend beyond just the few decades or however long we have together. And so by doing so over a lifetime, may God use our church services together as a means of grace, a way, an avenue, a conduit of grace in your hearts and your minds to transform you, to transform us into a people of deeper unity with one another and in conformity to the person of Jesus. Let's pray that that might be the case. Our Father, we are so thankful that you have spoken to us, that you have given us even just norms and expectations for how you desire your people to worship, for how you desire your people to gather, for what they are to do when we gather, that we are to pray, that we are to sing, that we are to confess our sins together, that we are to sit under your word, that we are to gather around a table for a meal. All of these things, Father, we are thankful that you have not left us to guess for ourselves what you would have us to do. So God, we pray that you would use these Sundays together, that you would make much of yourself in our hearts and our minds, that as we decrease, Christ might increase, that the world might see and know that you are King, Lord Jesus and that we might trust this reality even more deeply in our own hearts and minds. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.